Hey everyone, welcome to Tuesday's podcast. Um, it's actually Tuesday, we haven't pre-recorded this, so it's a special treat that you can actually, um, if you would like, you can um, pop comments in uh, under, under the podcast or the YouTube link or Facebook, wherever you like, and we may get to respond to them, we can't promise, but we may be able to respond live to your questions and remarks. So Next Steps podcast is where we get together um, and talk about the sermon from last Sunday. Uh, and as we do that, as we as we start, we'd like to acknowledge um, uh, and pay our respects to the first Tasmanian peoples as traditional owners and custodians of the land we walk on. And we also pay respect to elders past, present and emerging and for their care for country, land and seas over the past thousands of generations. So in our panel today, we've got Anne up the top. Hi, Anne. And then Paul, who's in the lounge room, and Matt over in the study, and I'm I'm here as well, Dan. And welcome just to being with us as we debrief the sermon and hopefully get a bit more of what Matt couldn't fit into that 25 minutes as well. So we'll have to hear a bit more of where you were going. So yeah. it's been a cold week. Okay. How's the cold affected you? That's the first question. Reminded me, I'm pleased not to be in Canada. Mm -hmm. That's been a major thing for me. I, I was thinking both of my mates, Chris up up the bush and Paul. Levin, I, I imagine it wasn't, you know, balmy weather over the weekend up at Levendale. No, I think the real fuel got up to about four was the biggest. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And you're on the and, side, side, at the top of a hill on the side of a hill, Paul, so you've got a nice bit of wind up there as well from last Friday. Uh, yes. So I actually thought the building was going to move down the hill for a while. It was that strong. Yeah. Uh-huh. Any yeah. snow? Yeah, had um, snow twice. Uh, still around the next day. The first time it was still around until the following day. And the second time the rain came, it was just ice everywhere. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I enjoyed it this morning where we actually got to see the mountain with the snow on it rather than just the clouds covering it. And uh, yeah. Anyway, we'll move on. You're not here to listen to the weather talk. But <laughs> Matt, your talk last Sunday, um, you started off talking about being one. Um, we were looking at Matthew chapter 18, um, right at the start, verses 1 to 8, I think it was. Uh, but you started in a different passage. Do you want to explain that to our audience? Yeah, look, it, it was important for me to, to, I guess as I was preparing and looking at Matthew 18, I realised that the whole chapter is about how you hang it together in community. And in fact, um, one Bible commentator who I, I, I sort of lean on a bit said that Matthew 18 is Jesus' prescription for community. And so I figured in, if that's true, then he's, there's a reason he's um, really trying to emphasise community. Uh, and I immediately realised in John, he, he spells out a vision for what the church could be or should be. Uh, and in both uh, uh, those two passages in John, uh, one, the, the famous new commandment where he says, a new commandment I give you, that's John 13. Then John 17, where he, he prays for us and says, uh, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so the world may believe that you sent me. 
I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and I've loved them even as you've loved me. So the new commandment was, love one another as I've loved you, so the world will know. You're my disciples. The prayer is that we'd be one so the world would know. That, that somehow for Jesus, there is this direct tie-up between us being one and the impact we have on the world more broadly. And uh, I found that really challenging when I think about, okay, what pictures people have of church and what, are, what is the stuff that, that gets a road, in the road of, of that happening. So that was, I figured I'd lay the groundwork by sort of painting Jesus' vision for the church and how, how different it is to the, what we, when we use the word church, uh, how different that vision seems to be. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's that's good. Have you guys had any experience where you have seen believers being one and that being evident that they are gods because of the love they have for each other? Like, have you? Can you think of any examples of where that's been the case? I, I, while you're thinking, I can share one. Um, where I I was running an after school club in the UK uh, for a lot of years, and we had a quite a diverse bunch of leaders. There was six, about six of us and 35 kids or something like that. And the sense of unity that we had in as a team, I think was a really strong witness to the kids. I reckon they could tell there's something different about these guys because of the unity they have, the love they have. And they might not put the words on it of, Oh, I can see God exists because you guys love each other. But I think what they experienced was those people are really a, a united team. They are one. And, and that goes along with, and they follow God, and there must be something mm. in that. I think for me that was probably a pretty clear example of being one and that being a witness. Any, mm. any other examples of that? Um, I'd, oh, when we lived in um, Saudi Arabia, we couldn't go to church, and we lived on a compound with about 100 other Australian families, and... Um, a similar number of people from other countries. Um, and while we were there, we met in a small group with other people, families that we discovered were also um, Christ followers and happened to be Baptist. And so we met with them very regularly and we had very, very special um, sharing times. And because we lived on a compound, we kind of, lived as community and we lived within a community um people it was it was a different kind of experience but then we also met up with others from other denominations and met up and had fellowship with them and it was really very very special and years later i caught up with one of the ladies who I had a very special friendship with um, who was part of one of those other denominations and she had some very, very special memories of um, the way we lived our faith and how important that was for her to encourage her in holding on to her faith at a time when she was risking losing it. And I think that's part of what oneness is all about. It's, it kind of holds people, it, not just ourselves, but it holds others. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like I gave about a decade of my life trying to help the church be one um, mm -hmm. from 1992 through to 
2001. Actually, no, from 1990. We um, we organised these Easter marches and global marches for Jesus and tried to have moments where the church would come together and pray, have all-night prayer vigils uh, with churches from all over Hobart getting together to pray uh, in Franklin Square. Um, and it, sometimes it was beautiful, but tell you what, being on the inside of it, uh, it, it doesn't. It, helping churches be one, particularly dealing with church leadership and budgets and all that sort of stuff, wasn't easy. Mm-hmm. Carry yeah. a few starts uh, yeah. would be true to say from uh, trying to help the, the body be one. Uh, but there were times where it was just magnificent. Where you'd look back and you. They could be cover the lawns of New Parliament House with people, and you didn't know at which church they're coming from. And singing together was just beautiful, but uh, not easy. Yeah, yeah. And and that, probably the that, best example. Oh, sorry, thanks, Paul. Probably yeah, the Paul. best example I've seen of churches being one is funerals. I know it's a sad thing, but um, yeah, one of the churches I was at previously it was if someone. Someone passed away and uh, one church was doing the funeral. All the other churches would actually do the catering and they just mm-hmm. come together. No one had to say anything. or and It was just really, really nice. And, and so people got to see Christ in action at that, you know, one of the worst times of their lives. And I thought it was really yeah. cool how they did yeah. that. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, great. And I think, Matt, you're talking about t- churches in unity, but one of the things that has spoken really loudly to um, communities where I've worked is that the churches have worked together and the, the general public comes out and they says, I thought you guys didn't get on. I thought you weren't supposed to work together. Yeah. And, and um, yeah, and, and that spoke volumes that we could actually put our differences aside and actually work together for the sake of those around us. That, and that, that, was, that was actually quite a loud message in a lot of the events that I coordinated. Yeah, that's been a theme through lots of different events I've been part of, and 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 it's always it always speaks loudly. Well, I remember one lady coming up to me with a walking cane and saying, "Well, if this was Christianity, I'd be in on that." Yeah. Uh, just, and um, another, and and I guess for me personally, my current experience is there's a. I don't I don't know how to describe it. The level of fellowship I experience between all the leaders here on the Eastern Shore, we're really good mates. And uh, and and there's something special. We had a, had these prayer times where all the churches get together. No, that's an overstatement. Where half a dozen people from each of the churches get together. So when we get together, it feels like it's nice. Uh, but there's something special that happens where people get get together from different churches. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I, but I, I think that that also is the advantage of church leadership in some ways is because you've actually got time to do that. And I think yeah. that's the that's the flip, flip side is you, you actually do have a really good rapport because you, you bond and you talk and you talk about what you're doing, you talk about what's happening and you share. And so you do actually have a community. But I think the question is not so much amongst church leaders, isn't it? It's how do you be against the the church population? How do you do it? Is, is I don't think church leaders have an issue, to be honest. I, I, think it's, it's, I think it's the big church rather than just that leadership group. I think that's true. And I, I, I was usually hearing from uh, Anne, who's uh, our chair of elders. She, she, she's a teacher, 
and there's a whole lot of teachers from different backgrounds, and they get together and pray. And I think in on the coal face, you're not really worried about what church you get you come from, yeah. uh, and that, I think that's usually the best place, like workplaces or. I think that's right. Like, um, I, they're not so much thinking even. I don't reckon they're thinking about how do we help churches come together. They're just saying, okay, we're Christians here in this environment. What does it mean to hang it together? Which is yeah. probably what Jesus has in mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we do it at church leadership level and we do it at work work level. You know, when you work in a Christian environment, it's really easy to do it, but like things like that. But how do we then translate that back to a church level? You know, like that's... That's the challenge, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, in a minute we'll come back to we we asked our church how they felt about church unity. We'll, we'll get that up in a minute. But I, I heard one person explain this passage in in John Luke, um, Luke seventeen, isn't it? Um, John, it, John in John seventeen, and and he called it the social proof of the gospel that that mm. you you can see that God exists because of the way they love each other is is what. Mm basically what Jesus was saying, and it's a social proof to, to those who are observing it of there must be something in this because the sense of unity that I get here with, um, and I think that sense of unity comes from having Christ at the centre and a common goal, common shared goals and values, and then and then working on that. that there's, a, there's a real social evidence that God exists because of the way they love each other and work together. So... So, Matt, one question you asked of the congregation was, let me try and remember this, what is it from your experience that has prevented church unity? Is that close? Yeah, what's, what stops us? If Jesus' prayer for us is that we'd be one, what stops us being one? Yep. And then right. we've, got, we've got a bunch of answers. Yeah, we're, we're actually going to give examples and name names on this bit. No, I'm joking. <laughs> but... <laughs> but um, yeah, so the first one just slap, slaps me in the face and says ego. Okay, uh, so let's just name a few of these. Ego, different opinions, fear, differences. You'll be able to bunch, a bunch of these into probably five different um, sort of themes. One is about self and ego and wanting your own way, your own desires, your own preferences. One will be about, um, what is it? Oh, they're self-absorbed, self-oriented. So look for the word self in there. Another one will be a lack of biblical understanding or theological difference or things like that. Others will be your past getting in the way of your future or your current situation. So hurts and, um, yeah, yeah, fear, the fear of being vulnerable, again, probably from past experience. Yeah. So I love that someone, wrote me, someone else wrote me, myself, and I. I think that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, laziness is interesting. Yep. A lack of yeah. commitment, is that? Or no, we'll leave it at laziness. That's what they wrote. This might be the first word cloud we've produced that doesn't have the word cat in it, which is great. <laughs> so obviously, <laughs> my daughter wasn't listening. Um, yeah. Favoritism in church, taking sides, strong personalities. Yeah. So these are things that will prevent us from finding unity within our church so i wonder it'd be worth if you're watching this on a video it'd be nice to know which ones you resonate with you could chuck them in the comments and say yeah i'm feeling that one hmm. yeah it's quite an extensive list and it was interesting for me as i was preparing and i kind of knew it was the right question to ask then as as they all came out i realized basically matthew 18 directly tackles head-on 
every single one of these words. Mm. Every, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't find a, a word on here that is not tackled head-on by Jesus in Matthew 18. So yeah. I thought, well, that works then. That's good. Um, bear in mind, all of these answers got written in within about five minutes. So it was a massively fast poll, this one. Yes. A bit more response than I'm used to seeing. So it's obviously close to a few hearts. Yeah. Yeah, it was really encouraging to get the response from people. Not yeah. encouraging, but it, but it means that we all, I think there's a truth, we all long for the kind of church Jesus prays for. Mm. And there's also, and there's pain that we're not there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we also acknowledge that we, I think partly in, in most of those words is a, an acknowledgement that we personally are part of the problem um, mm. as well. Yeah. Yeah. So what I might do is read, um, and oh, I probably I can't just load it on you. I've got Matthew 18 in front of me here. How about I what we did? Um, and if you, I'll do the first five verses, and you take from six to eight or six to nine. Okay, so, so they're going to flash up on the screen. Probably not. No, we don't have more. <laughs> okay, well I'll just grab it in front of me, yeah. and um, oh, you you start, and I'll just I'll, get I'll it. Get Okay, so this is the passage we went through on Sunday. Um, Matthew chapter 18, um, I'm reading for the, from the NIV. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Verse 6. Yep. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Mm. So let's stick with the top bit. Matt, you, you talked a bit about why what's significant about the image of the child. Why did Jesus choose a child at this moment? Did you want to talk about that a bit more? Yeah, well, I, I, I pointed out that it is fairly normal in every society apart from the kingdom of God to have a, a status ladder based on money and power. And the disciples came to Jesus and said, hey, uh, realise new kingdom coming in, all that sort of stuff. How do we get ahead in this new kingdom? Uh, what does it mean to, to move forward? Which is the you know, right answer in every society apart from the kingdom of God, uh, where he says, he gets the child, and uh, the, I think I read three or four commentaries about it, and I, they all said what he was pointing out was in, in that society at that time, kids were powerless. 
uh, kids were uh, completely dependent on their parents and not regarded as fully human. They were not. Re they didn't have any human rights per se. Uh, and so, uh, when he says you've got to make yourself like a kid, he's saying you've got to intentionally put yourself at the bottom of the status ladder, uh, and you've got to be willing to serve then rather than look to be served, uh, which is, I don't think what they expected to hear. But in the first few verses here, he is directly speaking to half the words on that, um, on that word cloud. It's, it's mm -hmm. that very stuff, that wanting to get ahead. I also said it's not only just people wanting to get ahead or wanting to get affirmation. Um, it's also the flip side of it. It's wrongly looking for a parental figure to fix it all up for us, that I think we wrongly put Christian leaders on pedestals um, and that causes problems too. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that both of those uh, really stood out to me and I, I mentioned some of the names. Because we, I mean, it's just been a crazy few years, hasn't it, of um, Christian leaders falling. Um, mm. And uh, I mentioned some of those names. I, I think it's all tied up in this stuff. Those guys, mostly guys, I can't think of any women actually. Who no, have I noticed that when you were going through it. Yeah. <laughs> fallen from grace, interestingly enough. Probably not uh, so much that women don't fall from grace, but probably says something about who become leaders, recognised quite possible leaders in the church. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think that they probably were people that were at the top of the status ladder mm. and Jesus would have been saying to them and to all of us, Learn to clean the toilets. Learn to learn to be at the bottom of the slater. Slater, don't grasp for authority or influence. Mm. So that I was finding myself challenged as I was talking about it on Sunday. How, how does that work in our society? Because we are naturally drawn to follow someone with power and influence. Or mm. like I look, I look at the yeah. yeah. And so, so how do we actually manage that? Because this, Jesus says this is the way, you know, therefore whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Hmm. Um, he's just been through the transfiguration, the chapter before. So he's Peter and James and John have been there and watched Moses and Elijah with Jesus on top of a mountain. You know, if seeing the power of God in that moment, they must be feeling pretty powerful being witnesses to it. And then Jesus says, no, you've got to be the servant. You've got to be the lowest. So because he, what, he, makes, he makes sure they won't tell anybody about that until after he's died too, interestingly enough. Because they would use it for their own self-gain, yeah. just naturally, like, oh, you should see what I saw, you know, which mm. elevates them. Yeah. Yeah. Paul, are you going to say something? I actually think the, um, the challenge in all this is how do we find community? I honestly, you know, we talk about leaders and, you know, um, people who are attracted to churches for whatever reason. Um, but I, I, I was actually just thinking about as we were going through that, you know, the Old Testament, you know, the New Testament example at that particular point in time was everybody lived in the community. Everyone knew everybody in that community. Mm. But we don't do that anymore. We don't live in communities like that. So we, we aren't spending time together. Like we were talking before about, uh, church leaders getting together. So that was a regular thing. 
So the only time the church generally gets together is of a Sunday. So how can you form a community when you're only actually getting together one day a week? I think that's the thing that I, when listening to them, that, that's the thing that got me. Mm. Was how can you form a community if you're not meeting? Mm. Yeah. I, I wonder it. if the, the, the church then wasn't as dissimilar as now, though, because I think they would have met in smaller groups through the week. And then it says they met in Solomon's porch on the Sunday, you know, so I think they might have had smaller groups and bigger. I don't think the, I don't can't remember how many there were in Acts when they all got together. I, I, I don't, 20 I don't, two. Yeah. yeah, I don't think that all of them would have got together every week, but I do, I do think this question of what is it, I, I think what you're saying is valid. I, I, this is what I keep saying, that's why we're trying to do things like the dinner together and. Uh, we're trying the small groups and kingdom cells and try, trying a whole, lot, a whole lot of things uh, to encourage people to get in each other's way and not, you know, in a positive way uh, and, and and spend time together. Because you, you're right. I don't think you can build this oneness, this one but not the same community that Jesus is talking about without actually spending time together. Yeah. And in the act of spending time together, that's when you kind of, um, you get to, people get to see you a lot more for who you are and you get to see them. And um, that has lots of wonderful benefits, but they also get to see you, they get to see more of your warts, if you like, that you don't have to show on a Sunday. <laughs> and that's, I think, where the rubber hits the road. That's where... Um, that's where those other those that's where the things that were on that screen start to come up you know where yeah. oh well you know i can't see why they would think that you know that's a stupid thing to think they may not they may not say it but by their actions and the way their thoughts work they might be thinking that and so you get this kind of impatience or frustration and and it's and um, the, I keep thinking there's this that proverb is it iron sharpens iron or something yeah. in Bible, it's as you as you kind of move against one another, you kind of spark off one another, but also in the process you actually can can become um, more of what you need to be. But that depends on the extent to which you're prepared to follow Jesus and his way. That's of right. Life. And I just think I was reminded today when I was talking to Paul, and he said something. I said I really don't know what you mean by that. Um, that that often. It can be differences of opinion and stuff, but at least 80% of the time we don't actually understand what each other mean by the words we, we yeah. use. We, we infer what they mean, but we usually mean that they would be thinking that or meaning the same thing if that we would mean if we used the same words. But but the, the, the journey of actually just learning what people mean, like my wife is still a mystery to me. Some the number of times she says something and she doesn't mean at all what I think she probably mm -hmm. should mean by those words. She means something completely different. Mm -hmm. and, and, and the only way I think this one but not the same community can happen is if we spend enough time. They, they, they reckon there's, a, there's these processes in group life and... and there is a point where you get to what they call intermember identification, which is where you 
start to know what I mean by the words I say and and I know what you mean by the words you say and how you act. So if you're being quiet and you're a quiet person, then I know not to worry. But if you're being quiet and you're a noisy person, then I know just start to worry. And all that stuff really matters. Like it really, that there's no other way around it, you know. Um, don't know. I love working with Paul. Uh, sometimes, because uh, he'll, he'll speak straight, uh, and sometimes he's offended half the people in the room. But it doesn't. It's not because it's not because he's. That's not what he's meaning. It's because they, and, and it's easy to misunderstand. You know, is that okay to say that, Paul? But it's the same. Like uh, my wife's the same in that she will just say what she thinks often, and. Uh, and look, I'm dangerous too. Like someone, someone came up to me and quoted something I said back to myself. And I thought, and I said, oh, you know, I'm not sure if I actually meant that. Uh, mm. But it is, it's so easy to misread each other. And so I think there's there's that whole element as well. But I think I love what Jesus is saying is, stop trying to be the top of the pile. Mm. Put yourself at the bottom. And Dan, I reckon what you, the question you were raising is real is a real challenge because we we have bought into the idea that the the purpose of the church is to grow the church, and we know the best way to grow the church is to have a charismatic speaker that everybody buys into, mm-hmm. and uh, and a good band and good merch that people can yeah. you know, good T-shirts and stickers and things people can you know and 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 it works. <laughs> It doesn't disciple people, but it's no. a good way to attract people. It attracts, yeah. Yep. I, I was thinking as you were talking about that, and uh, if, if I offend you, it's okay. <laughs> I don't mean to. But, but I was thinking, you know, we talk about community. We talk about um, getting to know each other. I think it has to be a mindset change. I don't know whether it's in the church leadership or in the church people or somewhere along the line where it's not an extra thing it's the first thing so mm. you know your community is the first thing you think of it's not like i've done my day's work oh now i think about that community i think and that's the challenge is how do we get to where it's the first thing you think of rather than the last thing you think of and i think mm. that if we could, if we could get that i think we'd be going really well but how do we actually get there is is the challenge isn't it like yeah absolutely by the way we've just heard from tony up in bernie and he's wanting to point out before we dish this all leaders and things uh <laughs> that a, a good communicator is important for a church yeah. but there is a gift of teaching that the bible talks about yeah. Yeah. And, you, and you don't want someone who can't teach to be up there talking really as yeah. much well you can but mm. not regularly probably um, so, yeah, I, I agree. There is there, there's this line you got to walk, but I think there's this real there is this real temptation uh, when you're a, a Christian leader um, to enjoy it too much, to enjoy being up the front too much, to to worry too much about your r- ratings, you know, mm. to feed off uh, it, to feed mm. off it. 
yeah, Jesus said to Peter, feed my lambs, and there's a real danger that Christian leaders feed off the lambs rather than feed the lambs. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Tony agrees. Yeah. So, um, I can, I, I want to switch gears just slightly. Mm. I want to come back okay. to um, that part where Jesus tells us to be like um, children. Um, you know, he look, he brings the child over and says, "Look, they've got no rights, and here they are, and this do." And I want you to be like them. I just, <clears throat> I was reading. I found a, a book was just a little story and it was on a blog site. Um, I just came across it yesterday. These kind of things happen. And it was called Francesco, Artist of Florence. And I, I saw part of the story on a woman's blog. She's a writer. And you were saying, how do we live this in the world? Um, the writer is um, Anita Mathias, but the book was just a, a, a beautiful, delightful story about an artist who um, made these absolutely exquisite pieces. Um, and then um, people would come into his shop and and they would want to beat him down in the price. And they, you know, so he might have some, he might have, Say for example, six hundred dollars, six hundred dollars on a on an item, and they would say, "Oh no, can't pay that much. Bring it down to you know, four hundred or three hundred and and they would have some story about why that would have to be the case, and and he would then look at listen to the story, and he would think, and, and like one of them was about a woman, like one of them wanted a dowry for his daughter, and he remembered the daughter, and how lovely she was and how he wanted to do something sweet for her and so he agreed to $300 which hardly covered his costs mm. and, and and then he saw this person go out the door with this big grin all over his face <laughs> oh, sort of what a fool and mm. and he, and this these were other little stories and then there was someone else who came in and the child just looked at the a part of this beautiful piece of art and just wouldn't look at anything else for the whole day, of oh, whole time they were in there, and it was just out of their reach. So, how much can you? How much? How much can you spend? Um, Seven dollars, and it might have been three hundred dollars. But because this child was so enchanted and in love with it, he said, "Okay, you can have it because I know you will love it." And and there's more to it, but then. He, he finds himself having to learn how to forgive the people who think he's a fool, who are taking him for a ride, and he lets them. But more than anything else, he needs to forgive himself because he feels like, how can I be this fool? How can I not deliver things for my family and everything else? It's a beautiful, beautiful story. But it's a story about what it means to be God's child because that it, it does talk about being God's child and being trusting him to provide enough and and being willing to be generous and let go of what we have rather than hold on to it and get the most we can. And I think that's the thing that we that can happen in church and, and with work and um, wherever we are, whether it's a social club or, a, you know, sport or whatever. We want to be, we want to get the most out of you know you know we don't want to be taken for a ride we and we want to if it means that 
we get the the one-upmanship over somebody else, we're all well and good kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Whereas um, what what um, Jesus is saying is be the child, be the servant, be the one who takes mm -hmm. delight in what you can do, what I've given you to, that you can express and then share with other people and mm -hmm. delight in it and delight in me and my goodness. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I notice while you're talking, you can almost see the self-centeredness, the tone of uh, of I, me, my. You know, mm. it's just all about me and my progression. And um, but Jesus says, "No, let let the let the ego sit for a bit and and just love and serve." And you can really feel the peace and freedom that comes from from that mm. attitude of it's it's not about you. It's you know, mm. just be be my, you know, be be a servant and just love and serve. Matt, Matt, one, there was a shocking moment in your sermon yesterday, uh, on Tuesday. Oh, really? Uh, yep. Sorry about that. You, you said about this next piece, you said, how come there's not more people in here with only one hand or without, you know, with two <laughs> eyes and not one gouged out? Because I know that some of you have been causing others to sin. It, it's, you didn't say that last bit, but that's basically where you went. So how come you've all got your hands? Everyone hold both hands up. you got two. <laughs> so what's going on? It's, it's better to get to heaven. Um maimed than than to cause these guys to suffer so is there anything else you want to add into that bit matt yeah well i, I mean I, I think that came just after jesus said anyone who causes one of my disciples one of my little ones to look at to to fall off the path watch out i'm coming for you you say which is pretty like it was a, it was a straight up threat it would be better for you to uh put some lead floaties on and jump off a pier than to cause someone to fall. And, and I talked a little bit about the fact that uh, one of the negative sides of community is that we are, and it's also the positive side, we are profoundly influenced by each other. We are profoundly influenced and, and you can easily lead someone astray. Uh, we all, we will have influence, but then he goes from that to that thing you talk about. He's saying, look, if your hand causes you to sin, then chop it off. Or if your eye causes you to sin, then chop it out. Uh, which, you know, is a little grotesque. Um, but only a matter of a couple of chapters earlier, he's, he'd actually said, uh, your body doesn't cause you to sin. He, he said, it's, it's what's in your heart that's the issue. Um, uh, and, and by heart, he doesn't mean the, you know, literal biological organ, organ but your... For the Hebrew people, the heart was the will. It's the core of who you are. And he said, and he, and, and what I what I heard him saying that what, what most commentators agree with is saying, um, you guys need to accept responsibility for your own behaviour. Stop um, looking to other people to blame them for your own actions. You got you actually if something in your life is leading you astray, deal with it, and stop and. and and, and don't make excuses. It was this call, I think, to repentance, to to deal with the stuff in your life that holds you back. And he, he used that graphic imagery uh, because he knew that was what was needed. Yeah. So we're not encouraging that you take it literally, but catch the meaning behind it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is probably a trivial example, but... 
and it's got nothing to do with hands or eyes. But I know for me, I struggle sometimes not to eat the fatty, sugary food, sometimes too much. But mm -hmm. um, and I also know that if I have Tim Tams in particular in the house, in the cupboard, then they just become like a magnet and I've got to eat them. And um, so the best thing I've found is just not to have Tim Tams in the cupboard. Mm -hmm. And, and um, it's like sometimes we know that there are certain situations that are going to take us down the wrong track. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and yes, you, you're, what you said, Matt, about we take responsibility for actions. And sometimes that means deliberately putting ourselves in a place where um, where we, where we know we could, where we know we're not going to be tempted because we've actually made that environment safe, um, and it may be sometimes that um, our, we might share, and you know, there's that word in the Bible, confess, confession, where we actually um, confess with um, others who are part of our Christ community. Oh, look, I'm really struggling. You know, it doesn't take much, and you know, I don't want to do it, but I do, or I, um, whatever it is. And will you help me? Mm. And um, and they might be able to say, you know, um, we can help you here. There might be some. They might see you starting to go down that track, mm. and actually give you the support and the yeah, the love you need to be able to then come back to where you need to be. But it's. Mm. Um, but then again, that's about you taking some responsibility, saying I'm responsible for this but I, and I want you to help me. And more than anything else, um, we talk, you talk about repentance. Um, when we acknowledge that there's something that we've got to change, who do we go to? Who should we be going to? Can we go to? And it's Jesus himself and the Holy Spirit will help us. And, um, you know, if we're genuinely wanting to change, he knows too how hard that is. I mean, how many, you know, really cutting off your hand, how hard is that going to be if you're going to do it? Or you probably, most people aren't anyway. But the fact is that we can't always do these things on our own. Mm -hmm. And Jesus says, I'm here, you know, come to me and I will, I will take your, help you take your load. I will, mm -hmm. um, give you a way forward. I've sent you this Holy Spirit who will guide you and empower you. Mm. And we need to hold on to that. Mm. Yeah. yeah, we need to finish up in a minute. But I'd like to ask, what what is something that you guys would take away from you from this from this talk? From from that sermon? Uh, I think for me the the um I think the seriousness of what Jesus is saying here is what I'm taking away. Like um, if I'm using anyone who is of low influence or if I'm using people to gain status or influence myself, if I'm using them at their expense, then watch out, like deal with it. Yeah, I like what you're saying there, Anne. Find a friend who can help you get that hand off, not literally, mm. <laughs> but... <laughs> but um, but yeah, like this, the seriousness of Christ in this one is, um, you know, if you're if you're 
it's not disrespecting it, but if you're belittling or anything in my creation for your own gain, then then what? Just deal with it, because yeah. it's better to get to heaven than than to have climbed that elevator thing. So I, th- I think that for me, it's the the number one, the seriousness of this. How about for others? What will you take home from this talk? I, for me, uh, the interesting thing when I was listening to Matt on Sunday was we got talking about the community lunch for new people and I was thinking about that and that was all right. And I was thinking about how the church does bring a plate or bring a plate and share it or whatever you want to call it. And I was actually thinking about shame at the same time and this is from an Indigenous point of view. And I and we're talking about you know cutting up our own hands, but if you hear if you hear it from an indigenous point of view, shame plays such a big part of it. But I don't think in Western society we account for it enough. So yeah. the example of lunch is is a good one, because what happens is we say bring and share, and people go, well I haven't got anything to bring and share, but I, and I know up the front we say it doesn't matter, it, that's okay, but there's that shame element that I don't think we take into account. And so people go bring and share, well, I haven't got anything, therefore I'm not going or I'm leaving, not even understanding that. So we're talking about uh, lunches, and I was just using that as, you know, when we, I think sometimes our culture causes us to sin without even realising we're sinning, you know, or causing us for the people to stumble without realising we're causing people to stumble. Mm. And, and lunches, and lunches. I'm using that as an example because I, I can actually I kind of think of a solution. But you know, so what is the solution to that? Is and it's, I don't think it's not just Indigenous people. I think it's all those people in low social economic situations for lunches, and that's the example I'm using. And the solution is that the church puts on the lunch, and so nobody feels like they're not equal going to the lunch. And so we're talking about feeling of equally and I, I just think we need we don't capture that feeling enough hmm. and how we how we process that feeling is hmm. is the challenge but that's what i got out of the the thing on sunday was as you know like we have to take responsibility for our own actions but when you're coming from a place of shame it's really really hard to hmm. and, and hmm. so that's that's the thing i got out yeah Mm-hmm. How about for you, Matt? Yeah, what Paul's saying is good. I think mm-hmm. in many ways um, shame would be one of the core. I don't know if it appeared on the list, but it would be one of the core blocks to mm-hmm. us being one, the, yeah. the fear of shame or the or actual shame. Um, yeah. And... Yeah, just incidentally, apparently we're going through a bit of a shift where, and this is part of why sharing the gospel has got more complicated. Uh, 20 years ago, we were very much in a guilt culture. Like you, the, the gospels are answered guilt. Um, and But they, they reckon that this generation coming through is much more about honour and shame than they are about guilt. They don't feel guilt in the same way. They're much mm. more, in that way, a bit, a, I guess a bit more Indigenous or a bit more Asian at, at that level. In that it's um, shame and, and you see it with the Me Too movement and cancelling people and all that sort of stuff. It's a, 
it's a it's a big it's a big thing. I think um I think for me just uh, this whole conversation uh, it, it just feels like one we've got to keep on the table, like the keep retelling Jesus' vision for the church uh, and reminding ourselves we're not there yet. Uh, and before we get too clever, actually listening to, he gives very specific instructions on the kinds of things that get in the road and, and what to do about them. Uh, and like he's going to talk about conflict resolution and a whole bunch of other stuff in Matthew 18. Uh, how you make decisions, all sorts of stuff, uh, and and I I think we need to get we need not to get too comfortable. Like I, I'm inspired by his vision in in, in John 17. I'm inspired by that prayer, and I love that he prayed for us. I am frustrated by how far we are from that, but I feel like. If we can keep having the discussion and keep coming back to his teaching, we might be able to inch closer, and that'd be a good thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Should we let Matt have the last word with that one? Yeah. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, guys. We'll we'll um we'll catch you next Tuesday for um the next podcast. Yeah. But thanks for joining us today. Thanks for your comments. And thanks, Carolyn, in New Zealand, and Tony for being part of it. Mm. Uh, and uh, Carolyn, we'll be praying for you. See, we've seen your prayer points come through, and we'll be praying for you. Mm. Okay. Well, okay. See everybody see next you. week.